What's up, Hume Lake? You guys doing, doing good? Yeah! <laughs> you ready to open up the word with me? Yeah! Okay, you were more excited about being good. We'll, we'll try and work on that through the week. Hey, um, did you guys have a good night last night? Good, good. Hey, I, um, I just want to, you know, Jeb and, and Biscuit, they were up here, and, and they were laying down some really, really good dad jokes. Like, did you recognize that? Like, those were incredible dad jokes. So I thought, based on the story that I told last night about my wife and SeaWorld and all that stuff, uh, this one was fitting. So here, here's my dad joke, ready? I'm going to try and keep up with them. I told my wife that she needs to start embracing her mistakes. So she hugged me. Ah? Yes. I kid, I kid. My wife and I love each other very much. We have a, a good relationship with each other, but it's fun to, uh, to play around. I also want to clarify something, because last night I made a joke that I think was funnier than you guys thought it was. It was. How many of you guys have seen High School Musical before? Okay, so you've seen it, you just didn't think it was funny. Got it. So I want to, for those of you who haven't, who haven't seen it, I thought we would do a little doppelganger challenge. So I know, uh, I know Wheelie's been uh, in the production and, and he's trying to figure, so when he gets out here, uh, I'll bring him up on stage. I want you to see the spitting image of Zac Efron. Like, I'm, I'm captivated by this. Like, this is, this is incredible. Zac Efron, teen heartthrob. All of your, like, teachers probably had crushes on him at some point in their life. No, I'm wrong. Uh, but when Wheelie gets, is Wheelie done? Wheelie, you coming out? Wheelie, 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 come on up here. Just, yeah, give it up for Wheelie. All right. Wheelie, what class are you teaching today? I'm teaching archery. Archery. Good. So you guys get to spend some time with Zach Efron. But I, I pulled some, well, we, we pulled some, uh, some picture, a picture from high, you're, when you were in High School Musical. Yeah, yeah, and it's right here. Look. You shaved that mustache, and this is Zach Efron. Better haircut. Better haircut. Give it up for Wheelie. Thanks, bud. All right, now I feel like I can move on. I feel like I can move on. Will you pray with me before we get into today's message? Father, thank you for what you're doing up here at camp already. Lord, thank you for the ways you're working, the ways that you are uh, tugging at our heartstrings, the ways that you're pointing us in new directions, the way that you're revealing yourself and your truth. Lord, we ask that you just continue to do that here this morning as we open up your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, when I was in eighth grade, uh, I had a best friend. His name was Jeff, and Jeff and I were on the same baseball team. We had the same homeroom class. Do you guys have homeroom? Yeah, some of you. Okay, so we had the same homeroom. We sat near each other, and, uh, and we became like the best of friends. Well, at the time, I wasn't a follower of Jesus. I was in eighth grade, and I came from a non-Christian family, and, and, and so I was maybe agnostic at best. I mean, I believed that God existed, but I didn't really know who he was, and I didn't have a ton of interest in finding out. I didn't even know the need for me to figure out who he was. And so uh, in eighth grade, I started hanging out with my friend Jeff, and his family started bringing me to church with them. Uh, the church is called the, the, um, 
the Mormon church, and they started uh, trying to, to call me and bring me to, to come to church with them. They handed me uh, what's called the Book of Mormon. The Book of Mormon is, is their, uh, their version of, of the Holy Scriptures. They believe that, 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 that that's the, the new Word of God, that it supersedes the actual Word of God. And so I found myself in eighth grade standing literally with a Book of Mormon in one hand and a Bible in the other. And I started to, to look at both of them and I said to myself, well, a lot of people think both of these are true or one, one of these is true. A lot of people think that the, the Book of Mormon is true and a lot of people think that the Bible is true. And I, I found myself in eighth grade going, well, but which one is true? Like, I know they both can't be true. They're, 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 not, the, they're not the same. They, one, one says Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. The other says something different. And, and so I know that, that they can't be both true. And so in eighth grade, much like many of you who are here up at Hume Lake, I started to ask the question, which one should I follow? And this morning, I want to take you on a similar journey, asking a similar question. Is the Bible true? We started last night off talking about God is truth, right? We, we established that God created, God created everything. He created you. He created me. He created the earth. He created the plants. He created the stars. He created the moon. He created everything. And because he's the creator, then he's the only one true source of truth. That means he determines what is true and what is not. We, re we talked about the, the three ways he's revealed truth. Do you remember what they are? What's number one? Creation. Good. We talked about that last night. We talked about the, the, the way that he reveals himself to us through creation. You remember the second one? His word. Right. We're going to talk about that today. And then the third one, I heard his son, and that's going to be, we're going to talk about him pretty much the rest of the week. But, but today we're going to talk about the word because God reveals his truth through his word. So we have to ask the question, how do we know that it's true. This morning you got introduced to, to Buddy the Bath Giver. Buddy the Bath Giver. And the, the biblical character that Buddy the Bath Giver is based off of is a guy named John the Baptist. He's not to be confused with the Apostle John who wrote the gospel that we're walking through. See, Buddy the Bath Giver or John the Baptist is an interesting character in your Bible. He's a, he's a very interesting guy. I mean, out, out of out of all of the Bible, he's up there as one of the most interesting characters that, that you see. He, he was a cousin to Jesus. So when, when his mom was uh, pregnant with, with John the Baptist, Jesus' mom, Mary, visits her. And an angel visits Elizabeth, his mom. And an angel visits Jesus' mom, Mary, and, and starts to tell all about what's going to happen. That this John the Baptist, this character, is going to be not only Jesus' cousin, but he's going to be the forerunner to the Messiah, to the Savior. He's going to come and he's going he's gonna to tell people that, that, that the, 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 the Messiah that they've been waiting for is now here. So as Jesus begins his ministry, we find out that John is uh, taking up root in this, 
uh, sect of Judaism called the Essenes. And they were, they were incredible characters. They, they, uh, they were devoted to handwriting uh, copies of the Bible. They, they were so devoted to God's word that they, they gave up. They sacrificed a lot of things. They, didn't, they weren't out there playing baseball. They weren't going to Costco. They weren't doing all of these things that, that we think are important. They gave up so much to just be in a community of people who were dedicated to writing down the Bible. Uh, the Bible tells us that John the Baptist, he, he lived in the wilderness. And when you think of wilderness here, right, we're up at Hume Lake. What do you think of? Pine trees and mountains, right? Well, in Israel, it's not like that. In Israel, there's not a lot of trees. At least there weren't back then. And, and, and so the wilderness is the desert. He lived in the desert. And if you, if you live in the desert, there's not a lot of food. And so the Bible tells us that, that this interesting character, John the Baptist, he, he ate uh, locusts and wild honey. You know what locusts are? They're kind of like grasshoppers, right? And if you want to eat some grasshoppers, yeah, all right. I've never had tried them, but I heard the chocolate ones are really good. Um, so he, he's eating locusts and, and wild honey, and he's preaching this message, this, this message that, that, that was was kind of ruffling the feathers of the Pharisees. It's this message of repentance. He, he was bringing fire and brimstone. He, he's saying, he says, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And all of a sudden, curiosity started to, to pick up regarding his identity. If you have your Bibles open uh, with me, John chapter 1. John chapter 1, starting in verse 19. John chapter 1. Starting in verse 19, remember I told you last night we're going to be in the Bible a lot. So we want you to bring your Bibles to chapel, open them up with me. John chapter 1, starting in verse 19, it says this. This is the testimony of John when the Jews sent to him priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? And he confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. In other words, I know, you're, I know you're, you're seeing all these things that are different, these, this message of repentance, and it's easy for you to confuse who I am, but, but I am not the one you're looking for. He's very clear. He humbles himself. He says, he says I, know, I know you're looking for the one that's to come, the one that's, that's going to save you of your sins, the one that the Old Testament talks about, but it's not me. In verse 21, he continues, they, they ask him, what then? Are you Elijah? And he said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, no. Then they said to him, who are you? So that we may give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I'm a voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as Isaiah the prophet said. Now they, they had been sent from the Pharisees. And so just the, the scene that was depicted over here is what we're talking about. The Pharisees start to catch wind of, of, of what John the Baptist is doing, and, and they start to feel threatened by the ministry that he's having. And what's fascinating is the, this John who comes is, is the first prophet in over 400 years. You see, the Old Testament is, is interesting. It, it, it builds a speculation. From, from, from chapter 3 of Genesis 
all the way through your Old Testament, speculation builds. All this anticipation, this excitement, it starts to build. And, 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 and they're looking for this Messiah, this, this, um, this Savior that God promises in Genesis chapter 3, that, that one will come and will wipe away the sins of the world. But the Old Testament ends with no resolution. And God Throughout the Old Testament, he reveals himself. He, he creates humankind and, and Adam and Eve, and, and they choose to do life apart from God. Sin separates humanity from God. Genesis chapter 3. Now Adam and Eve, who were living in perfect harmony with God in chapter 2, now in chapter 3, it, it's, it's this picture of them being, being kicked out of the garden, separated from the God who created them. And then God says in Genesis 3 that the innocent will die for the guilty. Genesis 3.21 says the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam, his wife, and clothed them. The animal had to give his life to cover the guilt and the shame of Adam and Eve. The guilt and the shame that came with their sin. We'll talk more about sin later Hebrews 9.22 says, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. In Exodus, the, the book following Genesis, God gives these law, these, these laws down. We, we, we call them the Ten Commandments. And, and we start to see, uh, you can have no other gods before me. You're not to have idols, no murder, no adultery, no stealing, so on and so forth. He, he creates 613 commands in total that are captured in your Bible. This is all in the Old Testament. And yet humankind was never meant to come to God through their obedience to the law. The law was meant to reveal sin. In, in Romans chapter 7, the apostle Paul writes this in verse 7. Romans 7, 7. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? May it never be. On the contrary, I would have come to no sin. I would not have come to no sin except through the law. For I would not have known about coveting if the law had not said, "You shall not covet." The the, the law in the Old Testament was like a uh, a spotlight. It was like a spotlight, and it was meant to shine a light on your sin. If we didn't have the law, we wouldn't know God's standard. So so through His Word, He passes down the law that, that highlights our need for grace. He's playing the long game. God is playing the long game with us. He's setting it up so that, so that we see the standard that we as humans miss. There was a requirement for this sin. We talked about it. it's the shedding of innocent blood. And so in Leviticus, the, the following book, he sets up this sacrificial system where offerings were given. There were burnt offerings and grain offerings and peace offerings and sin offerings and guilt offerings and offerings and offerings and offerings. But the Old Testament law was never meant to save. They had to make those sin offerings every single year. They were never free from the guilt and the shame that sin brought upon their lives and and yet God wanted to, to make a way. And so the Old Testament finishes. The Old Testament finishes. You can turn to the end of, of your Old Testament if you want, but you can see that, that it finishes without 
a resolution. It's kind of like the end of a season for your favorite show. Any of you guys have favorite shows you like to watch? The worst, and it was so much worse when I was a kid, but the worst is like you get to the last show of the season and it's like to be continued in four months. Like you have to wait four months to watch the, the resolution of the last episode of that season. You don't know if, if so-and-so died. You don't know if they got married or they broke up. Like you don't know all of these things for four months. Well, the Bible ends in the Old Testament without a resolution for 400 years. 400 years where people are wondering, is that the Messiah? Is he really coming? I mean, the Old Testament prophets said this. Is it really true? And they're, they're looking with anticipation at whether or not they would get a resolution to where the last prophet left off. And so it ends with a promise followed by 400 years Back to the Gospel of John. So we see John the baptizer comes on the scene. And everyone around him is expecting. We, we saw the question, are you the Christ? And he said, I'm not the Christ. And, and so they're expecting this Messiah. Well, why were they expecting the Messiah? Because they knew the scriptures. They knew, they knew that that the Messiah would eventually come. They knew their Bible and they trusted what it said. So they see John preaching fire and brimstone. And he says, if, if you're not Christ, then, then who are you? These Pharisees ask. And then in John 1, uh, verse 25 and following, he says, they, they asked him and said to him, why then are you baptizing if you're not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? And John answered them, saying, I baptize in water, but among you stands one whom you do not know. It is he who comes after me, the thong of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany, beyond the Jordan, where John was baptizing. And so John's building the anticipation of the expected one. He knows his role is to, to proclaim the coming of this Messiah that the Jewish people had waited for 400 years to see. And then John says something crazy, something that seems absolutely nuts. Verse 29 and following, the next day he saw Jesus coming to him and he said these words, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he on behalf of whom I said, after me comes a man who has a higher rank than I, for he existed before me. And so he says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This would have been a, a crazy statement to the Jews, to the Pharisees especially, because for 400 years, they've been killing lambs on the altar. They've been year after year making these, these sacrifices. And they have to do it every year because the, the lambs that they were, they were offering to the Lord, those lambs, they didn't take away the sins of the world. They just merely covered them. And so John, a day after the Pharisees come to him, he looks at Jesus and he points and he goes, there's the one. The Lamb of God, who doesn't just cover, he takes away the sins of the world. And then he says something we mentioned last night. He existed before me. 
Yeah, John is chronologically older, but he's, he's speaking of the pre-existent Jesus, the, the, the Jesus that, that was existent before the world was formed in the form of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then John the Baptist says in verse 34, I myself have seen, I've testified that this is the Son of God. And he stands there and he says, this is the one that you've been waiting for. So how did John know? Well, first of all, an angel told his mom. So that's pretty powerful. I mean, I don't know if any of you have been visited by angels. But, but an angel comes, tells his mom, hey, he's going to be the forerunner for the Messiah. But he also knew his Bible. He knew, he knew what to expect. He knew what to look for. The Jewish audience believed at this time that, that it was so important to wait expectantly for the Messiah. So, so John knows his Bible. The Jewish people know their Bible. But how do we know that the Bible is accurate? Well, the scriptures are very unique. Your Bible that you're holding in your hand is very unique. There's 66 books from beginning to end. They were written over 1,500 years from the first to the last. 40 different authors. Three different languages. Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek. And yet, with all of that, book one to book 66, they all fit together seamlessly. Different authors, different eras, different years, 1,500 years, different languages, and yet they're all inspired by the same Holy Spirit. And so then over the years, they're translated over and over into different languages and, and different copies. If, if somebody asks you, do we have the original manuscript of the Bible, the answer is no, we don't. So how do we know it's accurate? How do we know, how do we know it's something that can be trusted? Well, there are two ancient texts that, that people use to, to compare uh, accuracy. The first is, and, and the most well-documented ancient text outside of the Bible is Homer's Iliad. You guys probably haven't necessarily heard of that. It's not important. But what's important is that the Iliad was written in the 8th century B.C. And there's currently 300 copies that they've found. And across those 300 copies, the, Bible, or the Iliad has been proven to be 95% accurate. 95%. That's really good numbers. So across 300 handwritten copies, they didn't have copy machines they weren't, they weren't just Xeroxing uh, uh, copies of the Bible. They, they were handwriting copies. And across these, these 300 copies, 95% of it is the same. That's an amazing number. But what about the Bible? Well, we, by God's grace, God has given us over 30,000 copies of the Bible, handwritten copies because remember, there were people like John the Baptist who was, who was like focused on, on, on keeping meticulous account of God's word. It was important to them, so they continued to write it over and over and over again. So by God's grace, we have 30,000 copies. And across those 30,000 copies, it's 98.5% accurate. And the, the things that are inaccurate are, are words that are insignificant. There's not one single doctrinal statement in the Bible that is a part of that 1.5%. 
All of the doctrine that God wanted us to have has been preserved over 30,000 30, copies, over, over thousands of years. So simply put, the Bible can be trusted. We can believe that it's true. And it's not surprising because it's inspired by God. In, first, in 2 Peter, sorry, 2 Peter 1, 20 and 21, it says, but, but know this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. We talked about last night, God is the, the source of truth. And his scriptures, the revelation of his truth to his people were passed down, not just from men, but from men who were inspired by the Holy Spirit. The gospels, like the gospel of John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they were, they were written uh, shortly after the life of Christ and they were almost immediately accepted. Paul, the, Paul automatically uh, or Paul, the Pauline epistles, so the letters that Paul wrote, were almost immediately and widely accepted. In fact, Peter, in 2 Peter 3, he refers to, to Paul's letters as scripture. And so all that to say, like that's the, that's the long route. I wanted you to understand why you can believe what you believe. That it's not simply faith alone, but it's, it's substantiated faith based on, based on a, a, a doctrine that is preserved, based on a, a scripture that, that God has, has made uh, pure thousands of years later. Because if the Bible is inspired by the Holy Spirit, and if the Bible is accurate, then it has authority over our lives. And I needed to get there because today our lives, there are so many things vying for authority in our lives. Social media, our parents, our friends, our coaches, our teachers. And some of those are great authorities in our lives. It's not to say that, that you shouldn't submit to the authority of your parents or your teachers. You absolutely, absolutely should. But the highest authority in our lives has to be the word of God. Which means, which means if you have a question of something, whether or not you ought to do it, whether or not it's sin or it's not, the question is not, what do my parents say or what do my teachers say or what do my friends say or what does Instagram say? The question is, what does the Bible say? We have to ask that question. Who we are as, as followers of Jesus should be informed by God's word first and foremost. Joshua 1.8. Joshua writes, this book of the law, God's word, his scriptures, shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have success. He says, he says God's word is so important that you shall meditate on it day and night so that you would do all. The, the, the amazing thing is the Hebrew word for all, it means all. It doesn't mean most, it doesn't mean some, it means, it means all. So that we would be people who would be obedient to the word of God because we know it, because we read it, because we give authority to it in our lives. This is what Jesus says. Jesus, part of the Trinity, the, the, the God-man, this is what he says. He who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. And he who loves me, 
will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and will disclose myself to him. John 14, 21. Jesus says, he who knows my commandments and keeps them, he, he who reads my word and keeps them. And so because the Bible's authoritative, it's true and powerful. Hebrews 4.12, for the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. God's word is true, it is inspired, it is authoritative, and it is powerful. As we wrap up our text, look at John 1. This is what starts to happen as people hear, as people hear the word. John 1, 39, Jesus says, come and you will, or uh, Andrew says, come and you will see. Uh, Andrew is called by, by Jesus, sorry. Uh, 41, Andrew found Peter after he's called to be a, an apostle. And he says to Peter, we have found the Messiah. And Peter comes. And then verse 43, he says, follow me. And Philip leaves everything and follows him. And then Philip goes to Nathaniel in verse 45. And he says, we have found him. The one that the scriptures speak about, we have found him. He's worth dropping everything for. And Philip drops everything. That's what the scriptures do. That's what the truth of the scriptures do. They point you to the truth of the person and the work of Jesus, and they invite you into following him. John 5. Verses 39 and 40 says, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. It is these that testify about me. He, he looks back at the Old Testament and says, all of these are talking about me. God's word in the Old Testament is talking about me. And so you guys, as we move through this week, you have to understand. I was telling your counselors this morning, this is one of the most pivotal messages I'm going to give because you have to understand that the source of truth in your life is God and God's word. We have to stop giving authority to things that have no business having authority over our lives. God revealed his truth through creation. We talked about that last night, his word today. And now in Hebrews 1, 2, or 1, 1 and 2, it says, God, after he spoke long ago to the fatherless and the prophets in many portions and in many ways in these last days has spoken to us in his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. And now we get introduced to what we're going to focus on for the rest of camp, this person of Jesus and what he means to us. More on that tonight. Let me pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the authority that it has over our lives. Thank you for all the ways that you have, have proven true. Lord, that you are creator, that you have given us your revealed word of truth. I pray for all of us in this room, Lord, that we, if we haven't already, that we would submit wholly to the authority of your word, that, that your word is, is the word of God, and that because it's true and because it's inspired, it has authority over our lives. Lord, let us not lose sight of that. Let us walk in your truth. In Jesus' name, amen.